You want problematic lyrics? We got them for you as we talk about The Knack and My Sharona on the Super Hits Podcast. Here we go. Hey folks, it's us. Yes. (laughs) The Slip Man. That's me. I'm Alan and uh, I'm excited to be taking the lead on uh, this week's episode talking about my Sharona by The Knack, and uh, my pal is with me, as always. Hello, friends. It's Jamie C, a.k.a. Megamix.com on Twitter and Instagram, and at Megamix.com.com. We, we haven't recorded in a while, so it's it's uh, good to be back. Yeah, we're a little rusty. I mean, for all you listeners, you get a show every, like, three or four days, but we had a lot of shows in the can, so... Uh, yeah. It's been a while, so yeah, yeah, gonna gonna stretch our legs a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. and we'll uh, we'll get started talking about my Sharona. Should we just uh, should we just dive into this one? Get right into it, buddy. All right, so let's talk about the bands. Starting with Doug Feger, he was uh, born in Oak Park, Michigan, and he's actually the brother of attorney Jeffrey Feger, who is famous. Yeah, yeah, he's famous for representing Jack Kevorkian in his assisted suicide cases. Oh, so, cool. a very famous family, probably very proud parents. Yes. Uh, Figure played in an electric rock band called Sky, as well as a band called Sunset Bombers. And after these bands were no more, he made the decision to move to Los Angeles because he wanted to start yet another band. Always starting bands. Well. Can't stop. <laughs> Sounds like you in high school, buddy. Yeah, all the time. Uh, I want to be in a band. So shortly after he got to L.A., he met Burton Avery. And again, I may be butchering these names. Hit us up, superhitspodcast at gmail.com if you want to correct us. But Burton eventually became the lead guitarist and backing vocals and keyboards. They started a songwriting partnership. They also met Bruce Gary. And uh, Prescott Niles, and so that ended up being kind of the foursome who uh, made up the knack, and uh, their first show was in June of 1978. So the band was actually uh, highly pursued. Many record labels wanted to uh, sign them up, thinking that they were going to be the next big thing. And ultimately, the band decided on Capitol Records. There was about 10 record labels that were chasing them around, and supposedly they were given the largest signing sum in the history of Capitol Records. Nice. So their debut album was called Get the Knack. It was released on June 11th, 1979, and it was one of the most successful debuts in history. It sold a million copies in less than two months. It ended up spending five weeks at the top of the Billboard 200. It was a cheap album that only cost uh, $18,000 to put together, and... Uh, The album was produced by Mike Chapman, who had written hits for Sweet in the early 1970s and had produced a Blondie album, Parallel Lines. This is right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, so things really took off for the Knack early on, but uh, as usual, this received a lot of negative backlash. (laughs) Uh, There were critics who found that the band's image was very contrived, and I read a lot of stuff on this, but essentially... They were trying to copy the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, so the album cover uh, mm-hmm. looked a lot like Meet the Beatles. Uh, mm-hmm. The way that the band, like the, the way the Capitol kind of put the logo on the uh, on the album, 
and just kind of, yeah, their look and presentation was very Beatles-esque. There was a conceptual artist named Hugh Brown in San Francisco who started a campaign called Nuke the Knack. Yes. K-N-U-K-E, the Knack. That's uh, fantastic. And sold t-shirts, buttons, and bumper stickers, which, like, who would buy that? But uh, people did, right? I don't know. A Nuke the Knack shirt? That'd be great. Uh, other <laughs> other reasons why the band was criticized, they were perceived as arrogant, uh, and the band actually refused to do interviews, which is not going to get you over with the music press, as you would guess. Amazing. And uh, then we will also get into it, but there are also problems with their lyrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... The Knack quickly recorded a follow-up album to uh, get The Knack. It was called But the Little Girls Understand. It wasn't. Uh, it was released in 1980, and uh, it had some success, but didn't meet the same success as the uh, debut album. After some touring, they took a year off because there was exhaustion and internal dissent. Uh, they reconvened in 1981 to record their third album called Round Trip, but the album was a commercial disappointment, and with more backlash and less success uh, for the band and a lot of internal squabbles, Doug Fiegler ended off 1981 by leaving the band, and that was kind of that. Yeah. Uh, there have been reunions ever since that time, but I don't have anything worth noting. No, like what, one, two, three, four kind of albums since... Since yeah. 91 through 2012, I guess. Yeah, but again, like, yeah. they, they they couldn't recreate the success. You mean you didn't have uh, Zoom by the Knack from no. 1998? No, I don't. I, I know, right? It would have been right... They proclaim my... on that album that Pop is dead. Sure. Thanks, guys. <laughs> when Doug Feger was yes. 25 years old, uh, he met a 17-year-old girl named Sharona Alperin. And she inspired a two-month-long run of songwriting, as well as eventually becoming his girlfriend for the next four years. Uh, Fieger recounted that it was like getting a hit in the head with a baseball bat. I fell in love with her instantly, and when that happened, it sparked something, something, and I started writing a lot of songs feverishly in a short amount of time. And one of those songs was My Sharona. So yes, My Sharona, about a real person. Yeah, I'm just kind of sick of hearing about these uh, old dudes. Not that he was that old, but still, and these and their and their young muses. Ugh. It's like the, one of the worst tropes in, in 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 the arts, honestly. So the song was written by Doug Fieger and Burton Avray. The they worked out the structure and the melody of the song. Uh, there was some discussion about actually using Sharon Alperin's actual name, but Fieger wanted to. Uh, Wanted it to be a direct expression of his feelings, so uh, oh. they claim. I mean, if it's me, you know, if if he was forward thinking, nowadays everything it just autocorrects to my Sharon, and that probably would have been a better name. <laughs> uh, they apparently wrote the song itself in about fifteen minutes, which, if you listen to it, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. right? That tracks. Uh, so uh, Doug and Sharona were engaged at one point in time, but they never married. Uh, they claim to still be great friends, though uh, Sharona Alperin became a very successful realtor in Los Angeles. And I can imagine that, right? Like, yep. that's a good hook. Yes. You know, I'm I'm Sharona. I'm, I'm Sharona. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, uh, so 
With an interview in the Washington Post, there was also a claim by uh, Doug Fieger that the song was written from the perspective of a 14-year-old boy, and I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, that's on, that's man. just a cover, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, he knows, okay, this is a problem. <laughs> yes. So I'll just say, oh, no, 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 no. It was from this perspective. All right. Yeah, I mean, the 14-year-old, he's got a taste for the younger kind. Okay. He wrote a couple of other songs about her. Uh, one was called That's What Little Girls Do, do and another one's called She's So Selfish, which are, especially the second one, like I listened to it, is not a nice song, like whatsoever. No. no. Uh, very bitter. Uh, so Sharona Alperin did an interview in 2010 with NPR, and this mm. is what she said about hearing the song, My Sharona. One day on my lunch break from my clothing store, I went to the, the next rehearsal and I saw um, maybe Burton or Doug say, should we play it? Should we play it? All right, let's play it for her. And I sat down. Uh, then she says, cut to, I'm driving back to the clothing store and I'm thinking, did I just hear a song with my name in it? So <laughs> God. that's real insightful. Yes. <laughs> they played a song with my name and I was like, wow. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, so, also, uh, in addition to being the inspiration for the song, uh, Sharona Alperin posed for the single's picture sleeve, mm -hmm. holding a copy of the Knack's debut album, Get the Knack. Alperin is posing in a revealing tank top and tight jeans, and for some time this made her famous in her own right, and I will just say this, mm -hmm. I pulled this up on my work computer and closed the window right away. <laughs> Of course, yeah, not safe for work, pal. No, not at all. But it was just like everywhere, right? Like this would have been in your record store. Uh, yes. So, yep. Uh, so again, uh, Alperin said to NPR in the same NPR interview in 2010, that was my normal outfit, what I wore all the time, by the way. I guess I didn't look at myself as a celebrity, but people were very excited when they met me. And I remember going on tour and seeing sometimes people dressing up, and I'd say, what are you dressed up as? And they would say, Sharonas. <laughs> so good. I remember when uh, I saw Roxette play in uh, Winnipeg many years ago, and there was like a row of fans dressed up as... And I, 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 the name of the female singer escapes me, but they, they were dressed up as her. And I thought, look, it's all those Roxettes. Yes, there uh, you go. Even though there was no one in Roxette named Roxette. So no. anyways. All right. The single runs on the album at 4 minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, on the single, it's edited down to 3 minutes and 58 seconds. Yep, good. Uh, the guitar solo is chopped for the single. There are 58 versions of this that appear on Discogs, the majority of which were released in 1979. Most of these have a B-side called Let Me Out, and I own the Canadian 7-inch record from Capitol Records. Nice. As you can imagine, this appears on hundreds of compilation albums. Yes. Some notable ones from that time, because this this is on a whole bunch of like 80s you know, nostalgia yes. Mm -hmm. uh, albums uh, that were released in the 90s and beyond, but from around that time, and these are a couple of KTEL ones. Yes. We got Rock 80, which I own. Classic. Power Play from KTEL, which I own. Yes. yes. Uh, now imagine this, also on Rock 81, so I guess it rocked for two years. Absolutely. <laughs> and Time Life Sounds of the 70s, it is on the 1979 disc, so. All right. Which, I mean, of course it would be, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in video games, a cover of My Sharona is featured as a downloadable track for Rock Band. 
Yep. The original version of the song, along with the music video, is featured on Lips Party Classics for Xbox 360, which I also owned. Yes. Uh, there's a relatively well-known scene in Reality Bites mm-hmm. uh, where they play My Sharona and uh, dance in a convenience store. Yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a thing in 1994. Uh, it was also featured in Rocket Man in 1997, as well as the trailer for Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. <laughs> God. Also in Super 8 and Everybody Wants Some, so... A number of, uh, of course, again, a number of movies, particularly if you're looking for nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, basically, if you're doing a movie and you're like, we want to show people that it is 1979, <laughs> they will play. Yeah, my Sharona, perfect. Uh, it was used on an SNL sketch, a reoccurring sketch for Janet Reno's Dance Party, which I have to admit, as an SNL fan, I've never seen and kind of don't want to see. It's not great. No, the, 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 the series of sketches are... Just, uh, you know, Will Ferrell doing Janet Reno. So, and yeah. in, in 1990 on Full House, get this, Jesse and the Rippers covered it. <laughs> yes, Jesse and the Rippers. So, you know, Jesse awesome. and the Rippers who never had an original song but somehow became famous in Japan. I, uh, I like how they um, kind of uh, went away from their usual, which was covering the Beach Boys. Yes, yes, that is correct. So well done, Jesse and the Rippers. Uh, do you want to talk lyrics? I mean, I think, do we have to? But I, I guess we do. <laughs> All right. So I posted the lyrics. I've uh, put some of them in red. So this is one of those songs where, like, everybody knows it and everybody likes to sing it. But sometimes you should just pause for a moment mm-hmm. and think about the words that are coming out of your mouth. Yes. Uh, the chorus of this song says... Never gonna stop, give it up, such a dirty mind, I always get it up for the touch of the younger kind. Oh my god. I mean, it's an all-timer, right? Like, this is an all-timer problematic song lyrically. Uh, Another verse. Keep it a mystery gets to me running down the length of my thighs, Sharona. Oh, (laughs) jeez. So, the music of the song echoes many elements of the songs from the 1960s. Uh, according to a Trouser Press reviewer, the song's main hook is an inversion of the signature riff from Give Me Some Lovin' by the Spencer Davis Group. Mm-hmm. Figure acknowledges that the song's tom-tom drum rhythm is just a rewrite of Going A Go-Go, a song from Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Again, another thing that got uh, the, uh, the knack a lot of kind of crap was mm-hmm. they just lifted a whole bunch of tropes, right? Lots of lifting, yeah. But I mean, everyone does that. Everybody does that. Agreed. So, Bruce Gary, the drummer, stated that although he did not particularly like the song when it was introduced, he came up with the stuttering beat on the uh, oh. drums. Nice. Uh, he also decided to incorporate a flam in which two drum strokes are staggered, uh, creating a flutter sound. And yes, flams are the best. Yes, as, as, a, as a drummer yourself from back in the day. That is correct. You've got, you've got the inside track. Uh, the stuttering vocal in the Mama Mama My Sharona is reminiscent of My Generation by The Who. Yes. Uh, here are some uh, other notes about the lyrics, though. Okay. So from rockandrollglobe.com, this is Jim Allen who says, Let, uh, For starters, let's put it this way. If you Google Get the Knack and Misogyny, you will not be lacking in search results. It's been observed many times over the years that Figure doesn't exactly come across as a champion of women in some of these songs. 
that in itself would be unfortunately not uh, not be newsworthy for a rock record in the 70s, but even for the time these tunes took the sexism to another level, without getting into quotations, let it simply be said that at least half the album's songs feature either women-hating bile, horny creepiness, or some combination of the above. Well, that's that's a, a good uh, breakdown of that. Uh, it's tr- I mean, I went and I read, because I, you know... I don't know a lot about the knack beyond my Sharona, so I went and had a read, and uh, it's bad. Yep. Uh, in particular, I noted, go check out the lyrics to see, she's so selfish, and again, I won't get into them, but just go have a read. Yes, do that. Uh, one of your favorites, Robert Criscow of The Village Voice. Yes. Was also critical of the album's themes and remarked that if the knack felt this way about girls when they were unknowns, I shudder to think what uh, how they're reacting to groupies. Wow. Yes, that's uh, he's absolutely correct. Yep. Uh, so yeah, lyrics uh, problematic, and uh, what was not problematic for them was the reception of the song. Should we talk about it? Let's do it. So this debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 on June twenty third, nineteen seventy nine. It would eventually hit number one on August twenty fifth of the same year. It stayed on top for six weeks. Wow. Uh, it was a massive hit. Yeah, to have a six-week run. It's a big deal. Uh, would you like to know the top ten for the week of August 25th? You even have to ask. <laughs> of course I want to know. So at number two, a song we haven't covered, but we've talked about pre- uh, in the recent history. Good Times. Yes. <laughs> Good Times by Schick. Then we have the main event, forward slash fight by Barbara Streisand. Yep. After the Love is Gone at number four by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And number five, Bad Girls by Donna Summer. Yes. And number six, Don't Bring Me Down by Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, classic. Uh, the Charlie Daniels Band with The Devil Went Down to Georgia at number seven. Uh, Lead Me On by Maxie Nightingale at number eight. Mama Can't Buy You Love by Elton John at number nine. And Sad Eyes by Robert John at number ten. Okay. You know, a, a bit of a mixed bag in that top ten. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, So this hit number one in Canada and the United States, around the world. It was a big hit, but not as big. It was a top ten, though, so clearly uh, a big hit. But I think it hit its, you know, hit biggest in uh, Canada and the U.S. For 1979, it was the number one song of 1979 in the U.S. It was uh, number three in Canada. Uh, and then overall for the Billboard Hot 100 between 1958 and 2018, it's number 95. Yeah, big, uh, big, big time. Certified gold in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Italy. And in Canada, it was certified platinum. Uh, in 1994, it re-entered the Billboard Hot 100 and peaked at number 91. And this was based on its appearance in the Reality Bites soundtrack. Yep. Uh, the song also returned to the UK singles charts in 2009, peaking at number 59. It was because it was in an advertisement for Oatbix. Oatbix. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there you go. UK's the best. Uh, and then it received some notable sales and streaming gains in March of 2020. Can you guess why? My Corona. Yep. <laughs> God. Because Sharona rhymes with Corona on March 3rd of 2020, Weird Al Yankovic made it clear that he had no plans for a parody, tweeting, yeah, no, sorry, not going to do my Corona. 
And the, the people started being, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that song. Uh-huh. So there you go. And then, of course, a bunch of people did my corona. Yes, they did. Um, looking at the Wiki, it does say that uh, a YouTube personality, a medical personality, and uh, uh, did a, a coronavirus uh, video. And um, apparently a couple of NAC band members did their own parody titled By Corona. They probably wrote, like, really, like, dirty lyrics about Corona. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's only two years old. They're like, well, we'll wait We'll wait until at least it's 15 <laughs> yes. before, before we write something about it. So Amazing. Uh, all right. So Weird Al shows up in the next uh, part of this. Let's talk about the covers and samples. So starting with parodies, as you noted, there was a lot of coronavirus uh, parodies that were done. Uh, Weird Al actually did a parody of uh, My Sharona. It was called My Bologna. It's so good. Uh, I mean, I love My Bologna, you know, with the, the full accordion uh, makeup of the whole thing. Uh, we used to listen to this song all the time because it had a giant belch in the, at the end of the, uh, like, right before, as kind of the breakdown. It's awesome. Yeah, so it was also the song that kick-started his career. It was his first yeah. single. Chicago DJ Steve Dahl, who was famous for Disco Demolition. It's uh, not Steve Dahl the wrestler for all our wrestling <laughs> He did a parody of this song during the Iran hostage crisis. Oh, my God. Uh, changing Sharona to Ayatollah. Oh God. The uh, song was a hit in Chicago, and apparently the Knack sang it with him in 1980. Oh, so, yeah. What they wouldn't do, I guess. Yeah. The song was sampled, I think most notably, I would say... By Run DMC. Yep. Uh, they used the guitar riff in It's Tricky in 1986. A classic of its own. Uh, it was sampled for a track by a band that I enjoy called The Ark. Uh, yep. They have a track called Girl, You're Gonna Get Him Real Soon. It's worth listening to. It is. Uh, Dead Kennedy sampled the guitar riff in their 1987 track Pull My Strings. Come on, get to the best one. Uh, Everlast <laughs> sampled this throughout their 1989 track called uh, I Got the Knack, which isn't very good. Uh, Frank Zappa sampled this in his 1988 track, Ryman Man, which, again, I wrote is not very good. No, it's... And uh, I'm getting to it, but there are there are numerous other songs I'm, I'm, that sampled my, it. My, my, I'm pumping my leg up and down. I'm so excited. Are we talking about covers? <laughs> it's a, yes. All right. Yeah. So there are many covers of this. Uh, a couple I've got are Royal Blood, Veruca Salt, uh, DJ Miko, which I wrote is not too bad for a late 90s dance cover. Uh, a band with that did it in uh, French in 2004 called Les Canards. Ah, yes. Uh, but my favorite. I, I don't even know about that. But I just any any is the, is the band Les Canards? Uh, Les Connards. Les Connards. Yeah. Okay, I thought, yeah. it was, I thought they were the Canards. I wish they were the Ducks. <laughs> yes. Uh, but my favorite has to be in 1980 a cover that was done by the Chipmunks. <laughs> yes. Is that the one you were hoping for? No, there is a parody. I think that you're missing. Oh, tell me. Uh, Cheech and Chong. Oh, yeah? Cheech and Chong's next movie when they do My Scrotum. <laughs> the best. I No, My I did not have that. So good. All right, well, go check out Cheech and Chong and My Scrotum, everyone. Yes. Let's go to the music video. So, not much to this. It is just the band in the studio with white background. Uh, they are, of course, wearing those skinny little mod ties. Yep. Black pants, white shirts, so very much, again, the image that they're trying to project. Uh, I also noted that Doug Feger is wearing a black coat 
And it is essentially just, I mean, it's well shot, but it's just the band doing a song in a white studio. Yeah, and he's got the most punchable face. <laughs> yeah, I guess for the time, people would have been like, all right, this is fine. Like, that's what they thought music videos were. But, uh, yeah. and again, it's not badly shot. It's, uh, you know, I thought it was well done. They did some nice camera work. Um, everybody looks good, but uh, that's it. Yeah, not much to talk about. Uh, so let's go to the ratings and we'll start with the music video. You can go first. I'll give the music video three out of 10, uh, standard white room performance clip. Not much going on. I do love the bassist with his Rickenbacker bass. I mean, that's classic. Uh, so I enjoyed that, but I mean, there, there's not much to it and, uh, I don't have a lot to say. I gave it a three as well. Uh, there's just, it's, it's a fucking, the band yeah. is playing the song in a, in a room. So yep, good for them. Sure took a day and that was it. Uh, how about the song? I'm going to give this song a six. I think the song is a decent track uh, overall. It's a monster riff. Uh, it, there's a, it's a monster riff and hook. Uh, I think that the, the second breakdown and the solo is absolute trash. I, I find it just, I, I can't wait for it to be over. It does hit back in to the uh, the song proper uh, really well, but I, I don't love that part of it. Lyrics, obviously, I was I was gonna say haven't aged well, but I, I don't think that they were great then. I think the vocals are pretty raucous, so that's good. And I have to say, uh, this is uh, for for you and I a classic sing along song. Lots of eyes. <laughs> My eye, eye. Yeah. So six out of ten for me. I gave it a seven. Uh, the lyrics are problematic, of course, but if, I think most people just choose to sing the words and not think about them, as that happens in a lot of songs, so uh, whatever. I'm not saying ignore them, but that's that's what people do. I mean, it was a thing, right? Like, I, I don't think you'd do it these days, but so many songs about young girls and, like, noting their ages. I mean, yeah, the Beatles I... were the, the first one. Well, they probably weren't the first ones. It was probably Elvis or, some, or Buddy Holly or someone, but I mean... The Beatles, she, what was it? She was just 17, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, it was just kind of a trope in music that uh, I'm hoping doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, but the song itself is super catchy and it was a monster hit and it's, it's a fun track. And I agree with you. The guitar solo is probably unnecessary. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a good track. And I mean, it's, 43 years old and to a large extent still holds up. So uh, yeah, I'm going to give Absolutely. it a good score. Good. And there you go, everybody, my Sharona. And uh, what have you got lined up for us next time? Well, you know, I'm very excited because it's a song that I really enjoy and uh, I've loved for, for many years. We're going to go and take a look next episode at uh, Dr. Feelgood by Motley Crue. Oh, Yes. Cannot Speaking wait. Monster riffs. Oh, yes. I can't it's wait. It's going to be something else. So I'm looking forward to that. So hit us up, superhitspodcast at gmail.com if you want to uh, correct any facts on this. And I'm sure there's quite a bit that you could correct or that you could add to this one. Yes. And you can hit us up on Twitter at superhitscast. We are superhitspodcast on Instagram. And uh, I think that that's all we got. So we will uh, see you when we see you. Bye. Thanks, everyone.